So if you want to grab a Bible, there are some down in front of you. We're going to jump into Matthew 6, and I'm going to intro that just a little bit. But in Matthew chapter 6, we're in the Lord's Prayer. And let me kind of set the uh, big picture idea of what the Lord's Prayer is. We obviously know it's a prayer. It's a prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. So in many ways, it's the disciples' prayer. It's not the prayer that Jesus prayed. It's the prayer that he taught us to pray. But it's also, and I love this idea, it's a, a picture of the life that God has called us to live. See, in the Sermon on the Mount, the idea, the central theme is the kingdom of God. That when Jesus came, his first words, I guess, were repent and believe the kingdom of God is here. Which means the good news of the gospel, God has come through the person of Jesus and we can experience his personal power and his rule and reign. See, when a kingdom shows up, there is an authority, there's an administration, there is a rule and reign. So the question becomes, what does life look like under the rule and reign of God? How would my arguments with my wife change if the rule and reign of God showed up in that conversation? They would change. How would my approach to my finances or even my neighbors, how would it change if the rule and reign, the personal presence and the authority of Jesus showed up in that moment? How would life change? Well, the Lord's Prayer is a picture of how life changes when his personal and empowering presence shows up and we are under his rule and reign. And so it's both a prayer that we should pray together, and we're going to do that today. It's also an outline of how we pray, meaning it's a scaffolding on which you can kind of hang your prayers, if you think of it that way. But beyond that, it's a vision of how we live life with God and in the kingdom. You guys with me? Does that make sense? You got it? Okay, hey, let's jump in. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to pick it up in verse 5, the word of the Lord. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray. They love to pray. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. So, hey, let's do this. Jump into verse 9. We're going to put it on the screen. I want to read this together. Maybe with a prayerful attitude, let's read this and try to stick to the words. It's really hard. Because I imagine you've memorized it, King James, uh, whatever version you've gone through. We got trespasses. We got debtors. So let's see how we can do this together. Let's jump in and read this together in verse 9. And pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You did great. See, in the first service, we had a lot of trespasses and debtors. Because it's hard to break, isn't it? When you've kind of gone down a path, you've, you've driven that way, it's just that memory that comes back and is familial. And because it's so familiar, it's sometimes difficult to teach. But what we're going to look at today is the second part, which is hallowed be thy name. See, the first week what we did is how do we approach God? And the question I asked you, and if you want to go back and listen to that message, I'd encourage you to. The question was, what assumptions do you bring when you approach God? Because you do. We have assumptions, right? I met people today. The way we engage each other, there's some assumptions about what's appropriate uh, and what's not appropriate and how I should react and how I shouldn't. Well, when God's there and you're approaching him, what are the assumptions? Is he glad to see you? Happy to hear from you? Do you approach him as a child? Is it on the basis of trust? And are you approaching him on the basis of Jesus? Is Jesus the reason you can boldly come before a throne of grace? Or do you kind of tremblingly come before a throne of I did it wrong all week? That's not a good way to pray. So how are you approaching God? And then the next aspect is once we understand that God's our father, this is who we're approaching. This is the relationship we have. He says, hallowed be thy name, meaning holy, set apart, sacred is your name. You know, we don't use that word, at least not in my household, very often, hallowed. I think the only place I, I've heard it in, in recent days is maybe in the Lord of the Rings, these hallowed halls. You know, everybody has, in the Lord of the Rings, they all have hallowed halls. They have halls, and that means a building, I guess, that's sacred, a place of history, a place of respect. It's venerated. It's a place that's rich and deep. Well, in many ways, that's what that word hallowed means. It means to set something apart as sacred. To set something apart in your mind, your emotions, your will, and say, this is ultimate in my life. Now, see, growing up, growing up my parents both came from Boston, different sides of the track. My dad was on the wrong side. My mom on the right side of the track. You know how that works. And somehow they got together. And so we were huge Boston sports fans. If you know anything about sports fans, sports fans are crazy, but Boston sports fans are a different level of crazy. Certainly, wintertime, the wintertime just doesn't give up. You don't have the sunshine we have here. You don't have the joy of feeling the warmth on your face. It's just gloom and doom for months after months after months. So all you got, all you got is the sports teams, right? All you've got are the Red Sox. And so places like Fenway Park, hallowed halls. Places like the, and I know some of you are not big into this, so I'll get into a better illustration. But the Boston Garden, the old Boston Garden, if you guys know that, going back to the 50s where the greats played, these were hallowed halls. And as a young boy going in there with my dad, standing next to him, wow, it was majestic. A place I'd heard about, and now I'd seen it with my own eyes. I could die in peace. That kind of feeling. Well, it's saying when we pray, We've got to bring some of that hallowedness to God. You know, in Colorado, I was thinking about this this week. What is it we hallow? Because we don't have a Fenway Park. A lot of things in Colorado are new, except for some areas. So what is it we hallow? I think it's right outside. We may not have buildings, but we hallow. It's why you're here, many of us, is because it's beautiful. We hallow the, the mountains, the snow. 
the animals, the beauty, the sunshine. It's hallowed in people's hearts, meaning it's something they worship. And you see that, don't you? I mean, you interact with people. Do you, do you feel that sense that they're worshiping? Nature's not just a good thing. It's a God thing, that it's been hallowed in their hearts. I saw a couple times, I've, I've seen this on Facebook. They'll have these posts, right, these community posts. And people are often selling things or communicating or they're, they're kind of yelling at each other at times. Because one time there was a picture of a pizza box. And it was near, I think it was near Evergreen Lake. That was the site of the tragedy. And this pizza box was left out in the woods. And somebody kind enough, which I think all of us should, care about our, our community, and they picked it up and they threw it away. But they had to take a picture and, and put it on Facebook just to, to share the joy, to share the love in our community. And what happened was they put this picture up there and said, who would do this, right? And that's when the worship began. That's when the veneration began. And there was, I'm not kidding you, people were saying things like, whoever did this should be shot along with their children. I mean, that's the level, right? Because, and think about yourself, when you worship something and it's, and it's sacred and somebody desecrates it, that's the kind of language that, and other people would say, these are the scum of the earth. Now, they just left a pizza box, but they are the scum of the earth. And it's, but what, that's what happens, because when we set things apart in our heart as holy, as worshiped, there's a sense of awe, majesty, wonder. So when you approach God, we need to come to him as father. We need to understand the relationship. But then second, he says, there's something about adoration and worship that heals the heart. What we're going to discover is it recalibrates. If you understand that language, it calibrates, it balances out. It puts the heart in its proper position so that now I can relate to God. I can relate to myself, and I can relate to others. Hallowed be thy name. So let's jump into that. The first thing I want you to see, we're going to look at this in verses 5 and 6, is that prayer really is a part of life. It's inevitable. Prayer is a part of life. We're created in the image of God, and we're created to worship, which means, and this may be surprising, all of us pray. Now, all of us don't pray to God. All of us certainly don't pray the same way. We don't pray to the same God, but because we are human... Scripture is teaching us that all of us worship, which means all of us venerate, all of us praise, all of us pray. So watch this in verse 5. He says, and when you pray, and I just want to key in on that, when, meaning not if, but when. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. So first of all, he's saying prayer is a command. And here's the interesting, ironic thing about that command. What you worship, you obey. I know it takes a minute to think about that, but what you worship, you obey, which means when we disobey, it's because in that moment we're not worshiping God. That's the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me, which means you always break two through ten through commandment one. Whatever we worship, we obey. And so he's saying, what I want you to do is I want you to set God on your heart in such a degree that you need to pray. It's, it's a necessity of life. So prayer is a command, but also prayer is inevitable. It's keying in on this idea that all of us will worship and adore something. But when you pray, notice, don't be like the hypocrite. Because the hypocrites pray. But the question is, why do they pray? And what motivates their prayer? We've always already talked about how we approach God, but what is it that's driving it? Because notice the language he gets into in verse 5. And when you pray, don't be like this. Don't be like the hypocrite. 
Why? For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners and that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward in full. Now, the focus is not that they're in public. The focus is what they want. What they love is the respect and the admiration of others. That's challenging in the Christian life because a lot of the Christian life, this is kind of all you get sometimes for some of the people in this room, right? We're never going to hang out. We're not going to the Broncos game. If you buy me a ticket, I'll go. Yeah, I'll go. I'd love to come with you. But most, we're not going to hang out. So this is what we get to see of each other's lives, right? Which means we can do pretty good right now. We can look well. A lot of our Christian life is lived in the public realm. Prayer is one of the few things that's not seen. It's private. And there are those who pray, but he's saying they're praying for the wrong reasons. And so instead, he contrasts that with this other picture. And he says, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, don't get caught just on the locations because he's addressing a specific problem of those that were public prayers, those that were in the, the face of the community, but they weren't praying because they loved God. They loved the respect that praying in that community got them. And so he's saying, go to your father in secret. Now, in secret means in intimacy. The purpose of prayer is to go into intimacy with God. That the purpose of prayer, ready, is to get God. That's the purpose of prayer. Now, we have God because we've believed, we've accepted him, but the reality is God isn't weighty on my heart. I mean, I wake up and God isn't the first thing I think about. Uh, maybe that's your story and that's great, but I don't and I'm a pastor. I'm thinking about the day. I'm thinking about my challenges. I'm thinking about often what's most weighty because when you wake up, the weighty stuff shows up. I mean, you don't have to bring the weighty things up. They're weighty. And you wake up and you're worried, you're anxious, you're thinking about the day. And so if I start talking to God in that moment, I'm going to be like, God, fix this. Solve this. Take care of this. And God says, hey, hey, it's good that you're praying. And see, when children come to their father, they always come with wants, right? I mean, that's pretty much, dad, I want this, I want this, I want this, I need this, fix this. But as a child matures, hopefully they come to their father for their father. Sometime it's going to happen. Hopefully they come to me because they love me. They want to be with me. Because it feels terrible when somebody just comes to you to get something. And that's what he's saying. The purpose of prayer is not to get. The purpose of prayer is to know that you have God and he's your father. Which means the practice we have to get into is hallowing. We have to set God apart is greater than he is right now in our lives. We've got to seek first, as Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's what hallowed be thy name is. Seek first. It means God, today, in my life, get the attention. In my life, would you get the attention? Because here's the challenge. In prayer, we're often at the center of the attention. I know we're coming to God, but we're coming to God so Jason will have a better life. <laughs> I know you're not, that's not your prayer. It's my prayer that my kids would get along, that things would work out. That's why I'm coming. But he's saying, oh, I'm glad you're coming, and I'm glad that these needs are driving you to me. God welcomes that. But the challenge is, God, hallowed be thy night. God, get the attention. God, be the center. I'm too much the center, and when I am, Things mess up. But hallowed be thy name. God, be the center of things. 
Now, Paul says this in Colossians 3, 2. He says, set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. That's a discipline. It doesn't happen naturally. And so he's saying, set your mind, set your heart. Paul says it this way in Philippians 4. Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything excellent, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about such things. What he's saying is be intentional. Be intentional. We are very intentional to think about ourselves. We're so good at it, it doesn't take any intention anymore. But we have to shift. The whole idea of prayer is to come to the Father and say, Father, I know how easy it is for me to focus on on myself. Help me right now to focus on you. Hallowed be thy name. Father, set yourself apart. So prayer is inevitable, but it's also essential. It's absolutely essential. When you read the Bible, if you go through it, there are books set apart, and they do one thing. They praise. That's it. That's all the book is about. It's called the book of Psalms. And often in the letters of the New Testament, you find the beginning of those letters, they start off the same way. It's all praise. We skip that stuff. We're like, okay, i got to get to the good stuff. But it's laying out a pattern of life. It's saying, as this letter comes to you, praise be to God. Praise be to who God is. Praise be to the name of God, to the glory of God, the greatness of God. And they'll begin to describe every aspect possibly of who God is. And so when you get into the Psalms, and in Psalm 8, he says... Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth? How many of you have said when you woke up this morning, this is majestic? Hey, can we start doing that for God? How easy is that, right? I mean, I did it. I woke up. I actually took a picture of the sun coming up when I was parked up here, and the sun was coming up, and all this was kind of orangey, pink. I was like, wow. You know, that's what he's saying. We've got, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens, meaning that reflects you. And it doesn't even come close. You've set your glory above the heavens from the lips of children and infants. You have ordained praise. When I look around, Father, I see you. I see your handiwork. I see the work of your hands. I've got to get my heart to a place where I'm saying, God, you're the one who's majestic. Or the heavens, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies Proclaim the works of his hands. And then listen, day after day, they pour forth speech, meaning the skies. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no place where their knowledge is not heard. God, hallowed be thy name. Ephesians. Ephesians starts just like 1 Peter. It's the exact same way. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Blessed us in the heavenly realms with what? It's up there, right? Every spiritual blessing in Christ. I memorized that a long time ago. I still don't know what that means. I just know it's every. It's a lot. Meaning when I trusted you, praise be to you, Father, because when I trusted you, you gave me everything I need to know you. I lack nothing. The only problem is this guy trusting that's who you are. And then Peter, he starts the same way. It's like, can't you guys come up with something original? Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, uh, who's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Why is he doing that? Because that's what we need. You know, I get into the book and I say, hey, tell me what to do. Tell me how to fix this. And he's saying, Jason, you don't know what you need. You need, before you ask for anything, you need to see the majesty of God. 
And you need to allow your heart to be saturated in who he is. See, before we say, give us this day our daily bread, we have to get into, Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Because see, if we don't, then our relationship to the world, our relationship to ourselves, our relationships with each other will be distorted. It gets messy. If God isn't in his right place, then the stuff of the world becomes more important than God. And, and that's my story. I mean, I think that's, I can be honest with you, hopefully, that that's my story. Often, I, the things of the world have much more weight on my heart than God. And he's saying, Jason, I know what your problem is. And remember, he says that, I know what you need before you come, which means, trust me, do it this way. Adore my name. See, what happens? What ha- has this ever happened? Let me ask you this. Have you ever met somebody who said to you, you know, um, I know God forgives me. My wife forgave me. My kids forgave I can't forgive myself. Maybe you've experienced that in life. As a young pastor, this happened a lot. And I would sit there and go, okay, so let me get this right. You believe God forgives you, so you believe the scriptures. Yeah, I believe that. And and everybody else has forgiven you, but you can't forgive yourself. He said, yep, thanks for just restating that. Oh, well, that's, that's terrible. I have no idea what to do. I didn't, I didn't understand it because I thought if you believe God forgives you, then you, you're going to feel forgiven. And it took forever, and I would hear this over and over again. People say, you know, I know, I know God has forgiven me, but I don't, I don't know God's forgiven me. And it was challenging. And so imagine, here's a scenario. Let's think of it this way. Imagine there's somebody who's made an investment, a tremendous investment, lifetime kind of investment financially. And it was a dumb decision. There were a lot of factors why they shouldn't have made this decision, and they were all laid out in front of them. They could have asked someone. They could have consulted. They didn't. Instead, they made a huge investment, and the investment not only failed, but everything else began to fail, which means when you have that kind of failure in your life, relationships fail. Your health begins to fail. Why? Because there's something so weighty, so heavy on your life, everything begins to shake. Have you experienced that? And let's say, hey, things began to turn around and, and the family, that his family forgave him. Hey, you made a wrong decision. We forgive you. We love you. And, and maybe he recognized, I made some bad decisions, and he read the scriptures and said, okay, God forgives me. But yet he'll tell you, I, I can't forgive myself. You know, I, I had an opportunity to make one three-point shot during a Celtics game for $77,777, and I missed it. Most important shot of my life, and I missed it. You know, for years after that, that's a stupid thing. I would wake up and go, shoot, in the middle of the night, my wife would go, what? I missed it. Are you serious? It's two years ago. But what, what is it? What is, what is it? It's not just the money. I, I don't think it's just the money. It's, I think for some of us, what the money means. The money means that I was a good investor and many people respected me, but now they don't and no one asked me any advice. What did I lose? I lost respect. Or maybe what that money represented was security, it was power, it was comfort. It wasn't just the loss of the material, it's what it meant. It's what you were hallowing that won't set you free. You guys with me on that? There is something you're worshiping, and it's constantly condemning you. What is hallowed be thy name? Father, my money and the loss of it isn't my God, and it doesn't define me. That takes a long time. I spoke to a man 
and this was early, early on in my ministry, so it probably wasn't a good counseling session, that he committed adultery. Everything fell apart, right? Horrible experience. He knew this was dumb, stupid. He saw it coming. He allowed it to happen. Well, through counseling, eventually this marriage got reconciled. Uh, She forgave him. The marriage started going in the right direction. His family forgave him. And he knew, again, right? I I know I'm forgiven, but I can't forgive myself. Now, I would think if your wife forgives you, you can forgive yourself. That's amazing. What a gift of God that she she still loves you and wants to reconcile. It's amazing. But he, he couldn't forgive himself. And I couldn't, again, for the longest time, I couldn't figure it out. And then years later, I remembered that story. And I remember how poorly I helped him. And there's a passage in Romans chapter 1, verse 25, and it says this. Romans 1, verse 25. Because they exchanged the truth of God, the truth about God for a lie. Notice what we're exchanging God for, for a lie. And then what happens? When the lie comes in, we start worshiping, we start hallowing. Worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who's forever praised. What is it saying? It's not that we stop hallowing God and we just go on to something else. No, we transfer our worship from God to something else. And when we do that, a lie comes in. You know what his lie was? I finally got it. Years later, finally got it. I wish I could call him, help him out. He grew up in a family and his parents were very legalistic. And the worst kind of sin, you know what the worst sin was in their family? Sexual sin. Nothing came close. Uh, There was nothing on the radar that touched that weight. And his parents were dead. They were gone. But see, the weight of their disapproval was heavier than the grace of God. You with me in that? I mean, and and you can put your own story in that. Why do we have to hallow the name of God? Because we got to set ourselves free. This doesn't define me. I don't worship my mistake, but we do. And that's why he's saying, you come to the Father, but then you've got to set that stuff aside. And the, even the reasons that you're coming to him, you've got to start setting that aside and say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Which sometimes means, Father, help me to worship you. Help me to set my heart on you. One of the best ways you can do that is simply to pray scripture. It works. But, but you've got to get into it. You know, uh, we just said, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name. Just say, Father, you're reading it. Your name is majestic. And, Lord, it's majestic in all the earth. If it's not Jesus, don't answer it. I always want to say that, right? Sorry. If you're not, from, if, if you're not familiar, it's called ADD. That's what that is. So this is your future. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Father, how majestic is your name in all the earth? It, it's to take the word and, and start to say it back to God. My salvation in my Christian life was memorizing Scripture. Uh, that, that is my, that's what turned my prayer life around. It's when God's word was no longer his information. It, it started getting into my heart. And I started memorizing books of the Bible. And not because I am in, really intelligent. This guy up here is not that smart. I'm sorry. But it was work. And I listened to scripture over and over again. Over, I, didn't, I didn't memorize it with my eyes. I memorized it with my ears. Every day when I drove to work, I listened to the same passage for 30 seconds, over and over. And it gets in there, I'm telling you. You remember songs that way. The word of God gets in there. And what happens when you pray God's word, it, it's, it's weird, it's strange. In my experience, when I pray, I always have the time of the fog. There's the fog. Let's just be honest, it's, it's heavy sometimes. You know, and, and it takes time. It's like muscles. When you go to the gym, it's not like you can jump in. 
you, you kind of need to work yourself up. You're going to hurt yourself or it's not going to really feel right. Well, when you get in there, you've got to lift the fog. How do you do that? You've got to start thinking about who God is. And for me, when I start memorizing scripture and repeating it back to God, here's what happens. You ready? There's a moment in which God shows up. And I'm like, oh, you're here. And he's like, yeah, I've been here the whole time, but you weren't connected to me. You didn't know. And I'm like, wow, you're here. And you know what in those moments? That's where you start asking, seeking, knocking. The Father's with me. But you know what I have to do to my heart, my mind, my emotions? i got to wake up. Father, hallowed be thy name. How great is your name. How wonderful. Father, you've given me everything in the heavenly realms. I don't even know what that means, but it sounds great. Thank you for what you've done. Do you see that storyline? This is a gift of God's grace. When we hallow his name, it's preparing us. And here's what it does. Here's the last thing, and we'll close with this. It changes, as I said, your relationship to God begins to change. Your relationship to how you see yourself changes, and your relationship to stuff in the world, it changes. It's no longer as weighty. When God has his rightful place, it's called gravity. Everything starts to find balance. There's order. There's no longer chaos. And so before we pray, forgive us, we got to say, Father, hallowed be thy name. And see, before we ask for something, we've got to say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Because often what's happening is when we're asking for something, we're saying, God, we're saying things like this, God, if my kids aren't happy, my life is over. That's called, if my kids aren't happy, hallowed be my kids. That's what that just said. And we prayed that, right? And that's why he's saying, don't be a hypocrite. You're coming to me, but you're worshiping your kids. You're coming to me, but what you want is a solution. Don't use me. Now, when you're a little, little kid, he doesn't care. God doesn't care. If that's where you are in your prayer life, just go to him. Just go to him. Go to him. But he's saying, you've got to mature. I want you to see me for who I am. Because when we pray, we go to get God. Now, last thing, how do we do that? Here's the art. You ready for the art of prayer? Because there is kind of a balancing in prayer. He says, our Father, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed your name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Here's the beauty. Prayer is kind of like a pendulum. If you think of a pendulum, a pendulum swings almost to the degree that it's, if you take it to the left, it's going to go to the right, right? And almost to the degree, if you just take it a little, it's just going to go a little. But what happens when you saturate your heart in God the Father, what's going to happen? It's going to swing over and say, hallowed be thy name. You're holy. God, you're loving and forgiving and merciful. You're mighty and powerful. You're the creator of the universe. You see, that, you see that swing that happens? That's what Scripture's constantly doing. When you read the prophets, you read the Scripture, they're going, God's merciful. He's forgiving. Oh, gosh, but he's holy. He's just. What are we going to do about this? How is God going to forgive us? How is he going to receive us? And, and that's the storyline of the Old Testament. It's saying God's merciful. We know he forgives us, and yet he's holy, and he's great, and he's majestic. You know what the answer is? You know what rests right inside of that pendulum, what you're sitting on, what you're coming to God on? It's called Jesus. You know what allows you to see the holiness of God and not tremble? It's Jesus. You know what allows you to see the fatherhood of God and know it's love towards you and not rejection? It's Jesus. Every time we worship and come in prayer and we set that pendulum, right? And whether you start on the holy side or you start on the mercy side, what that's supposed to do is you say, you know what, God, I'm so sinful, you had to die. That's God's holiness. But I am so loved that you were willing to die. That's God's Father heart. And in the middle is Jesus. Why do we come boldly before him? Because Jesus is the entrance. 
And if we will do that and cultivate a heart that's seeking to hallow him and to worship him, the things of life, they don't go away, they do lose their weight. And when you have people around you, a community like this that can help us to do that together, there is power in that. And that's what this community needs to see. Not just, hey, how beautiful is the mountain, but hey, guys, you know, I went to church. How beautiful is God? They're going to think you're nuts, but that's okay because he is beautiful and he's worthy to be praised. And let me pray for us. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the word of God. Um, Lord, I thank you that the simplicity of the Christian life, it is about you. It's in the beginning was God. Um, and in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You're constantly reminding us it's about you. And Father, would you get the attention in our lives this week? Hallowed be thy name. Would your name be a set apart? Would it be hallowed in our hearts and our minds? And Father, would you enable us, even if once this week, just to say, wow, how majestic, out loud is God. As we praise creation, as we praise our success, and we praise people, Father, would we be as bold to say, God, I want to praise you. And may that praise be not just in my mind, not just in secret, but may it be on my lips because that's what I want. And Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we respond and worship.